0: Definitely. I have to
1: ask you a question. Shoot, was it common in the seventies for almost every page to have a little ad for a current oh, issue of some other book
0: down at the bottom? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, there was. I, I don't know if, if saying in the seventies would encompass the whole thing. I in the early seventies it was. I think they may have done away, away with it by the late seventies.
1: Okay, Cause the, I was just like, good lord, how many? They have to be running out of books to to post in here.
0: Yeah, but uh, not that long ago they did a uh, Defender series. I'm talking, you know, maybe in the last two or three years,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, they actually did that at the bottom of of the pages, just kind of to make it nostalgic. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Some some things you you shouldn't be nostalgic about, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh. none of
1: them, other than Fantastic Four, they're books I've never read.
0: <laughs> That's really? Well, you're mostly a DC guy, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean Conan, I've heard of, but I've never read it. Fear, never heard of. Although I have heard of Morbius before.
0: Yeah, uh, fear. Uh, fear was fear started as a, uh, you know, an anthology horror title, and then they put. Oh, actually, then the Man Thing was in it for uh, a while, and then when the Man Thing graduated to, to his own series, they went with Morbius.
1: <laughs> and then, well, I guess Incredible Hulk versus the Cobalt Man's probably Hulk, so I probably have read that. Not that particular issue, but I've read it. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Cole the Destroyer. no,
0: Cole I've never read. Cole is kind of a Conan ripoff.
1: <laughs> interesting. So Marvel had Conan and then ripped it off. All- okay,
0: okay. That may have been some classic sword and sorcery thing itself. I'm not sure. I wasn't I wasn't that big on the sword and sorcery stuff, but this is this is like yeah. right in the month when I first started buying comics, you yeah.
1: know. Oh really?
0: Well, well, well before you were born.
1: Uh, <laughs> I was gonna say, wow, that's a uh, that's a while back there, Paul.
0: But like, you know, this this was actually the first issue of Marvel Team Up that I bought off the stands. Uh, that issue of the Hulk that you're talking about—that was the first issue of the Hulk I bought. So it's oh, wow. like right in you know that month, the month before, the month after is probably my first issue of all the different Marvel series that I bought. Damn. That's you know, this is what happens when you're old. One day, you know, you'll you'll be talking to some younger guy on there and you'll be saying, Yeah, I bought a book in nineteen ninety and they're gonna be like, damn.
1: <laughs> they had comics in nineteen ninety? No way. Yeah. Yeah. They, they carved them out on stone, it was awesome.
0: <laughs> Back to the band. All right, let me uh, let me start us off. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I am Paul Spitaro, and I'm joined today with my usual co-host, Dr. Bill Robinson. Say hello, Bill. Hey, everybody. What's up? Dr. Bill in the house. And today as a special guest, we have Mr. Charlie Nehemiah. Charlie. Hey. Welcome. Hey, how life. you
1: doing? Oh, thank you. Hello.
0: Now anybody who's unfamiliar with Charlie, Charlie does the Superman in the Bronze Age show.
1: Yes, you- which most of you won't probably have heard of, but hey, how's it going?
0: Oh, and that's with uh J. David Weeder, another friend of the show.
1: Yes, 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 yes. Although yes,
0: you guys yes. you guys both do it, but you don't actually do it together.
1: Most of the time, yes. Uh he I do the main portion where I talk about the actual Superman comics and then well, although he talks about them too, uh, and then he comes on and does the quote-unquote backup feature, where he last year he talked about like Superboy and the Legion. Before that, he talked about Superboy, and now he's talking about DC Comics Presents, which is the team-up title.
0: Right, right. Yeah, there's some, there's some good issues in there too. So that, that's you know that's a lot of fun stuff. I I know. Uh, You know, when you when you first started in the early episodes, you would you were doing them sequentially early, and now you're just kind of jumping around, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. It got to a point where I just was like, you know what, this is it's just a little too tedious for me. So, and when I was especially when I had to cut back to two times a month, it was uh, just it was going to be too tedious and go forever. So I decided, you know what, I'm just going to do what I want to do with it, and I jump around. It's fun.
0: Yeah, I, I think. Well, I mean, that's the nature of this show. We jump all over, all around, and <laughs> uh, it is fun because you get to pick whatever you feel like covering, pretty much. Which is
1: pretty much, nice. yeah.
0: And uh, now you're doing the, that the Starman show too, right? With yes, also with J. David Weeder. And that's also the is that I'm trying to remember now who the third guy. John Wilson. John Wilson. Yes, I'm yes. sorry. Apologies to John.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, he does. He's all right. He's only on seven other podcasts. He can.
0: <laughs> he can deal with
1: it uh yes yeah, starman observatory is a monthly show and we cover the golden age adventures of the well the golden age starman
0: that would make sense yeah <laughs> now is is uh charlie's geek cast a officially a thing of the past or is that a possible uh, return
1: it's um i'm not gonna say never but as of right now it's kind of a thing of the past i had been planning on maybe doing some specials but nowadays there's this whole baby thing coming up so i don't really have time for trying to do anything special with that right now
0: yeah i was gonna i was gonna i was gonna get to that for in a moment i want to (laughs) pass on my congratulations to you and angie oh thank you and uh it's very very exciting time i'm yes having having lived through that myself uh (laughs) Not only not only having children of my own, but one time being a child of somebody's. Uh, but it's <laughs> it, yeah. You know, I've seen the uh, the sonogram pictures and stuff, and it's you know, you guys are excited and rightfully so. And the only advice I can give you is enjoy every minute of it.
1: Oh, I'm trying. Yeah, this is our first. You probably won't see near as much stuff when we have the second one, but um, if we have a second one, but yeah, it's fun. <laughs> That's
0: yeah well, like I said, that's the only advice I can give you is cause you I guarantee you there will come a point when this baby is i don't even know at which point whether it's eight years old or ten years old or whatever, and you're looking at pictures and you're gonna sit there and say, I can't believe that time went by that fast, oh so yeah. that's you know that's, that's the only advice I give people is make sure you savor every minute of it and don't you know don't don't get so anxious to rush them along and uh and and you know, get past the early stages, enjoy every one of them, because they're, they're all special in their own way.
1: Oh, okay. Yes, I will do my best.
0: <laughs> and I also, you know, I shouted you out on a sh- episode a while back, but I want to thank you And while well, I got you on the air for sending me that uh, care package of Excalibur issues.
1: Oh, hey, no problem. Glad you like them, or at least got them.
0: Got them and started, and uh, I'm slow moving, so I haven't gotten too far yet, But uh, but I am enjoying them very much, and I appreciate you sending them very much. <laughs>
1: Well, hey, no problem. And you got them for free because you were complaining. So I was like, hey, I got some free, st- I got some stuff I can get rid of.
0: Yeah, and it worked out because we just happened to be talking about that particular series, and you happened to have that series and it, everything. It was just uh, as as Jay David said in a different thing that he and I were sending back and forth. It was synchronicity.
1: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it was awesome.
0: And it was very, very much appreciated.
1: Oh, no problem. Glad to help.
2: And Bill, keep it down, all right, pal. You know, you know. This reminds me of a uh, of a story, uh, Paul. Ladies and gentlemen, it's now time for real life with Doctor Bill Robinson. Uh, uh, uh okay. I got to think of a story. Um, you know, I usually have all these stories right at the top of my head, but uh, well, maybe this is a story. How I one time I. I was supposed to have a story for real life with Doctor Bill, and I, I didn't have a story, so I got nothing. All right, <laughs>
0: uh, why don't we take a quick break here, and then we'll get back and we'll do some email, and uh, back in a minute.
1: And uh, while you do that, I think I'm gonna go, and uh, we'll uh, just let me know when you're ready.
0: <laughs> All right, so we'll do the email uh, just you and I, Bill, and then we'll get back to Charlie. The Bronze Age of comics, an era largely ignored as far as Superman goes,
1: and an era that some consider to still be part of the Silver Age. Sure, a lot of people know about the Kryptonite Nevermore storyline, where all the Kryptonite on Earth is turned to iron and Clark Kent goes from a newspaper reporter to a TV reporter. Then there are the Alan Moore stories, for the man who has everything and whatever happens to the man of tomorrow. But in an era that lasted 15 years, surely there's more to the Bronze Age than that, right? Right? Well, my name is Charlie Niemeyer, and every other week, I shine the spotlight on this long-overlooked era of Superman in the Bronze Age. Featuring such stories as the return of Jonathan Kent, two meetings with the amazing Spider-Man, the Phantom Zone miniseries, the enlarging of Krypton, and more. Plus, J. David Weider also joins in to take a look at Superboy's Bronze Age adventures. So join in the fun at www.supermaninthebronzeage.com and www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com.
0: Let's go to our viewer mail or listener mail. Viewer mail.
2: <laughs> Sorry, God, God, okay. It's time for email. I can't imagine if we had a viewer mail. Yeah, I'll forget about
0: it. Nobody wants to view us. Even when you put on your webcam, I I, I can't turn off my monitor quick enough. <laughs> Hey. So our first first piece of email today is from Jason Sandberg. I should turn on the video just for that. <laughs> and it is titled Feedback for Bins Episode 138. Feedback? Oh, feedback. Sorry. Yes, yes. Dear Paul, Bill, and Scott, if he's there. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> at the beginning of the episode you were foggy about what Dan Jurgens had done at Marvel besides penciling. Dan Jurgens did so do some writing at Marvel. He scripted the Heroes Return reboot of The Mighty Thor with crackling art provided by John Romita Jr. My favorite issue of that run was number nine, where John Buscema did the art chores. It was beautiful. I hope my artwork looks that good when I'm in my 70s. Speaking of the great John Buscema, can I put in a request to have Bill synopsize a late 1970s Conan using his Schwarzenegger voice? Thanks, Jason Sandberg. What I could tell you is that is under consideration at the moment, and you may be getting something.
2: Yes. Uh, down the line. Uh, we don't know when, but we we got something we're working on.
0: You know, I, I have to say I had been somewhat delinquent on Jason's uh, prior emails, and I had not checked out the links that he gave us. So when he commented about wanting to be as good in with his artwork in his 70s as John Buscema, my first thought was, well, that sounds awful cocky. Uh, but then I looked at his artwork, and Jason's really good. So, yeah, you know, that, that's I think that's something something to aspire to is all I could say.
2: Well, yeah, I, I think last time when we ha- had the links, I I was looking at him, and you asked me a question. I was like, what? Oh, oh, sorry, I was looking at the links. <laughs> yeah,
0: so I mean, some real good stuff in there. So. Uh, uh, thank you, Jason, for the feedback. And like I said, uh, the Conan issue, uh, we're looking in to see what we can do for
2: you. Enough talk.
0: <laughs> you, want to, you want to do the next one?
2: Yeah. It's from Mr. Russell Bragg. Subject back to the bins 139, the comic geek speak crossover, which unfortunately I wasn't there for. We did have a quick appearance by the Bill LMD in that episode. Yeah, I got to watch that guy. He's uh, he's getting kind of uppity. I'm getting a little concerned about him. But anyway, the email is, Hi, guys, or guy, I guess since Paul was the only regular there that week. <laughs> nice show. I had only listened to Comic Geek Speak for, for the Crisis tape show because I love Crisis on Infinite Earth so much. Well, you should probably start listening to um, – I believe I heard them mention your name on, um, the, the JSA one, Russell. Tales. And I know, yes, yes. On, on, uh, yeah. What you <laughs> just said. Sorry. been a long day. And, um, they actually just kicked off, uh, t- talking about the, um, they're doing like the back history of the, of the crisis. So you should be happier than a pig and slop. <laughs> Not that it has anything to do with Michael Bailey and Scott being in slop. But anyway, back to the email. I was so happy to hear that another episode was coming and was actually on iTunes when I got home. I decided to go through their episode catalog and see what might might interest me. (laughs) Well, considering they've got about 1,400 episodes, that's a lot of backlog. (laughs) I don't even know if they have all the old ones up there anymore. Probably not. I have Um, no idea. Because I think when I started listening to them, they were in like the five or six hundreds and there was some that I couldn't go back and get. So I uploaded about 25 episodes to my iPod, plus all the crisis tapes so I could listen to those again. So thanks for th- for this episode for reminding me about Comic Geek Speak. Paul, you wouldn't want to want your moniker to be the old man of comics, Paul Spataro. Not really. It's not very <laughs> flattering, is it? I'll keep looking on it. I- Actually, I think he's kind of settled on one that J. David Weeder gave him. Uh, it was uh, chairman of the board, but you changed it to chairman of the board, as in the being board.
0: B O R E D. Yes. Instead, instead of B O A R D. Which so, I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of think that has a certain ring to it. I, if, but if, you know, I, it's difficult to pick your own nickname, So
2: if other people <laughs> like it, that's fine. Pick your nickname, yes. I didn't pick Dr. Bill, but it was put. It was thrusted upon me.
0: And it plays very nicely, though, you have to admit.
2: <laughs> you, you do seem to have embraced it. <laughs> I need my pain. I want my pain. On to the comics. Sorry you didn't get to read or synopsize one, Paul. DC, Adam Murdo, Joker number six. Of course, we all know who the Joker is. I've been contemplating whether I wanted to get... The trade of those of these stories, since it does contain all the issues. And after Adam's synopsis, I think I will. Marvel, Chris Eberle, Black Panther, number 27. I know the name and that's it. I think I came across the character on on the Avengers Mightiest Heroes cartoon, and I still haven't watched all the cartoons yet to get the full context of the show. My wife found a Blu-ray of season one from Canada, but I think Black Panther didn't show up until season two. Um, I, like you, I have not, you think, uh, being an Avengers fan, I would have been all over that, but I haven't, I know now it's on Netflix and I can go back there and watch it. And sometimes you just get complacent and you think, yeah, yeah, I'll watch it. And then you go to Netflix and stuff's gone. So I probably need to get off my butt and watch it if I'm going to see it. Have you seen any of those, Paul?
0: Yeah, I've seen quite a few of them. I don't have a clear distinction in my mind as to when, uh, season one ended and season two began, but I Thought the Black Panther appeared before the end of season one, uh, I just I, I, like we talked about in the in that episode. I, I find the Black Panther to be a uh, fascinating character. I think he's re- he's real interesting to read. So uh, I would say uh, I would recommend following up on that if you have any interest in it.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh hmm where, where was I? But I did like the show from the episodes I got to see when they originally aired, and I can't wait to watch the whole series. Although the, the comic chosen did not convert me to start reading more Black Panther, I did enjoy listening to the synopsis and the discussion that followed. Better it better in for now, once again thank you for keeping me entertained at work on Saturdays. It helps the time f- for my last day of blah, 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 blah. it helps the time for my last day of my work week fly. As always, I remain your humble listener, Russell Blagg. Blah blah blah. Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia. Whew. Sorry. We, we, I, 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 you know, I seem to just really uh, really uh, butcher one email a night when we do this. Well, that was your first. So now you're- <laughs> So really... all the rest of going to be perfect. <laughs> now just you're eat. really under pressure. <laughs> but we That's seem, right.
0: We seem to have a pattern going here. I did a Jason Sandberg. You did a Russell. Oh, yeah. Now I'm going to do another Jason Sandberg. Uh, and this one is titled, where is it titled? Feedback on episode 139. Dear Mr. Spitaro, Mr. Robinson, and Scott. Scott. <laughs> While you often have great guests on Back to the Bands, episode number 139 with Adam and Chris from CGS was something special. This really was a crossover event, and not even a rough phone connection could spoil the party. I dig the comic geek-speak crew, and I hope this becomes a tradition akin to the JLA and the JSA teaming up a few times each year. I'm gonna interrupt the letter to say I agree. I really enjoy their show. Uh, I like those guys, and I enjoyed having a chance to talk to them. So I agree, and I'd like to do it. I I try to use the absence of my fellow hosts when it when they happen to give myself a chance to talk to people who I like in the in the podcasting business, and mm-hmm. uh, certainly those guys were. were uh, one of the the groups that
2: I really did enjoy. All right. back to Go ahead. Well, no, I I just wanted to say that, you know, we do rib on you and, you know, say, oh yeah, yeah. Producer Paul, but you do keep the show going and, you know, I always can't make it and Scott always can't make it. So, I mean, it's good that you're, you're finding other people that, that, that can fill the gap and to keep the show going. So that doesn't fall by the wayside. So I just want to say, thank you. That's a rare moment of, uh,
0: <laughs> start ribbing me later, but, uh, thank you. I appreciate it.
2: And this may or may not be the life model decoy. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Who's got a gun to your head? Yes. <laughs> Meanwhile, like
0: <laughs> you just picture like somebody's got a gun to Jen's head and she's saying, please don't <laughs> say
2: that you like what he does. <laughs> right. There's the LMD with a note saying, <laughs> read Read this so she gets it. <laughs> Mister Spataro has been an inspirational figure for myself for many years, and without his ongoing to tut- what what is that word? Tut- tut- tutelage, I would not be the outstanding. Wait, he's crossing that out. I would not be the idiot podcaster. Hey, <laughs> oh sorry. Anyway.
0: Back to to Jason's letter In keeping with the spirit of the crossover I suggest the next time you gentlemen Each pick from your favorite back issues Of Marvel 2-in-1 Marvel Team-Up DC Comics Presents and DC's Brave and the Bold Make the team-up vibe exponential That's not a bad idea I like that That could be fun If you really want to be ambitious You could tackle my favorite team-up tale The epic Project Pegasus storyline From Marvel 2-in-1 Yeah, I like that one That was a good story Mm -hmm. I don't know if a team of title has ever sustained a better multi-issue storyline. John Byrne and George Perez artwork, does it get any better than that? Thank you, Jason Sandberg. I agree totally. That was a great run in Marvel 2 and 1. Uh, I wouldn't mind doing that, but I would, like you said, do that as a special episode where we just kind of covered that and didn't do anything else. Yeah. I've been thinking lately that it might be fun not to do an offshoot like Avengers Spotlight, but just every once in a while to do a focus episode where we do kind of a back-to-the-bins uh, back, you know, back to the bins significant issue. I don't know what what you'd title it, but like the way we did Avengers number one on Avengers Spotlight, do like really, really significant historical issues. You know, maybe Fantastic Four number one, maybe uh, Amazing Fantasy number 15, uh, you know, Flash of Two Worlds, things like that, like really, really significant books. Well, And, we... and
2: just do a focus episode on the book. Well, we... I was going to say, we kind of do that when the movies come out. We pick books that are, uh, germane, Ooh, mm-hmm. big, big word. Sorry. That is, that's a good word. Points for Dr. Bill, um, you know, to, to, to the topic that we're going over. So, but, but, but yeah, yeah, yeah. We could do that too. I, I th- don't know. It's, it's just an idea, you know, just to one, you know, I think it's something we do
0: specifically when we know it's me, you, and school and, uh, <laughs> and and and, like I said, pick a really significant issue, so we're right but the now,
2: problem is we don't know when scoot is gonna be around
0: <laughs> and 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 we do have kind of some projects in the work for uh, when when we do have scout here, yeah, so i I don't know. He does like when we when we say his name with a Spanish, uh, a Scottish accent. Spanish?
2: <laughs> I don't hey, think that. I don't think that's, it
0: sounds like you think. <laughs> I don't think that accent means what you think it does. All right. So now, having read a two Jason Sandberg letters, you one Russell Bragg letter behind me. So why don't you get on to the next one? All right. Here we go. No mistakes.
2: No mistakes. All right. Oh, and I flubbed it right out of the gate. No, I'm just kidding. All right. From Russell ba- Bragg again. No, no. Mm, testing. La, 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 la. Mm, okay. Back to the bins, 140. Nick Fury and, uh, Apollo Smile. <laughs> I liked that title for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, fellows. Welcome back, Dr. Bill. Assuming you are there this week. Yes, I am. I learned that I cannot eat a sandwich while listening to your show. You guys had me laughing so much that I almost choked. I couldn't breathe and I couldn't see from all the tears of laughter, of laughter. Just to be clear, I don't want you to stop being funny. I'm just going to remember not to eat anything when I'm listening from now on. Which, I don't know, uh, I think I told you, I don't know if I told uh, uh, Scott and Chris this on a show. If I told... Anyway, I was listening to the Christmas episode one that they were talking about Rudolph and I was trying to shave and I started laughing while I was shaving and you should not – you also should not shave while, while listening to any two True Freak shows because I, I had a very deep cut on my neck. <laughs> so no eating, no shaving, maybe no driving, no, no, no performing surgery while, while, while you're listening. How, how about you, Paul? Have you done anything that you're like, oh man, I can't do this? You know, like operating heavy machinery. I, I,
0: I don't remember which one it was, but there was an episode where I started laughing so much, and I was in my car and I needed to pull off the road. <laughs> I had to pull off to the side of the road because I was laughing so hard I was crying, and and I was gonna, you know, if I didn't get off, I was gonna crash. <laughs> so I, I just the next exit, I got off the parkway and I
2: sat down. I caught my got my composure and then I started driving again. Uh, <laughs> I enjoy, I enjoyed your new segment, Doctor Bill's Cat Talk. <laughs> Doctor Bill, you have my sympathy. Cur- uh, you have my sympathy concerning Alvin. My wife and I are currently dealing with a cat that needs constant care. We have to give Angel a vitamin liquid twice a day, and a quarter of a pill every other day to fight infection. We discovered last summer that he had a urinary tract infection. It has cleared up, but we have to go through all of this for further prevention. Mm. Angel's about 16 years old, and you can tell he is stiff in the joints, except when it's time to eat, and then he is as, as youthful as a kitten running downstairs to be first in the food bowl line. Unless, of course, he's owned by Paul Spataro. And then we have our Dr. Kevorkian pet moment. <laughs> <laughs> would, would that be you? <laughs>
0: uh,
2: just saying. I don't know. I don't, you know, just think about it. <laughs> well, Alvin's doing good and I'm glad that Angel's doing good too. 16, man, that's old for a cat. Whew. That's old for that's, a person. That's four times. Wow, that That's four, four times older than Alvin. But Alvin is actually young for, you know, to be going through all these issues. Well, yeah, I, I I guess. I mean, he's he's still doing fine. We're still going back and forth with what we're going to feed him and, uh, and such. But he's doing good. Uh, back to the letter. Linda Carter was indeed on the very first Battle of the Network Stars. That was her only appearance. Mm. Well, I can say,
0: for anybody who's looking for anything, Bobby Joe and the Outlaw.
2: Go on. I think I remember that. Oh, that's a movie, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Oh, well, that's all we'll say. That episode, as of this writing, has not been re-shown on ESPN Classics. I think, wasn't she in the uh, Battle of the Network Stars one? Wasn't she in one of the swimming things? I don't recall. Or maybe this is just my own fantasy. Very no. possibly. <laughs> I guess I could always go to the YouTube. To the YouTube! To, to the YouTube, Robin. And, and if just... you go to the YouTube, Bobby Joe and the outlaw (laughs) yeah you gonna make me go here now no oh the only one I remembered and was happy to see again was the episode Lou Ferrigno was competing on he won the tug of war competition pretty much by himself (laughs) it was awesome to watch again on to the comics Paul I can't think of anything better than producer Paul how about that yeah (laughs) no No? well it's all right it's not bad it's just you know it's kind of obvious well, maybe obvious is what the people want. I think chairman of the board. <laughs> I'm going with that. <laughs> chairman of the producers. Nah, that doesn't. Marvel, Strange Tales 159. It, it was a neat but odd issue. It was odd seeing Nick Fury shirtless and the Purple Man or who else was uh, Do we Nightcrawler mm-hmm. that Gabe Jones was. I like that he was knocked out by his own shirt or cigar or whatever it was. Great synopsis. Dr. Bill, indie book, Apollo Smile, number one. Uh, Sorry. There was was no ugh there. It It wasn't the title of our episode. It was at the silent ugh. Okay. Sorry. She did look a little familiar when I looked up the comic. By the way, if you really want issue two, they have it in fine condition for $0.80 and very fine condition for $0.90 at mycomicshot.com. That was until Professor Allen bought all available copies off of the internet, so. (laughs) (laughs) HTTP <laughs> dot slash slash www dot search blah, 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 blah. You really just couldn't say mycomicshop.com, huh? Well, he had all this extra stuff. On okay, it. just go. Well, I didn't do the TID equals 453801. Now, I well, now it. you did. Close parentheses. Nice synopsis by the doctor, but I had trouble following. Are you being sarcastic, Russell? <laughs> <laughs> I can make these longer. Please don't. (laughs) Better close for now. Thanks again for keeping me entertained at work. Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia. Thank you, Mr. Bragg. I'm sorry you didn't like Apollo's (laughs) mob.
0: Well, you know, there is the basic fact that it kind of sucked. But, um, you know, that's besides the point.
2: Uh,
0: Our next email is from... SilentWalker420 at yahoo.com. Now, I don't know if that's somebody we know or not, uh, because there's no actual signature or name on it. So, if it's somebody we know, let us know. Uh, The email says, I enjoy the show. I truly love the random issues discussion and was hoping maybe in the future doing an episode on the Marvel series What If? And the Elseworlds series from D.C. Both titles have their share of good and bad story ideas, and would fit perfectly into your two guy show. Hope my email made. Hope my email made since I'm writing it as I'm going, getting my daughter ready for school, <laughs> cooking breakfast, with the latest episodes playing. Keep it up. Uh, we've actually talked about doing a what if episode, uh, and actually we talked about it being more than a two man show. So more on that later.
2: We did? Um, well, you know, we we did do... Um, you know what? I wonder if we should do like a what if, do the original comic and then do the what if that, re- that references it. That's not a
0: bad idea, but I think, and I could be wrong on this, but I think most of the what ifs
2: are based on more than a single issue. Well, one of you the mean- what ifs that I think I did was based on your remember i did the one that- yes that's that was
0: one that's
2: true that you did the one on spider-man 101 mm-hmm. uh
0: but i think most of them are like you know civil war what what if this happened in the civil war or what if this happened in I- annihilation or you know even like the what if spider-man joined the fantastic four which is just a divergence from spider-man number one but then the ripples from that kind of go way beyond it mm-hmm so I, I'm not sure. Like, it's not a bad idea to, to do the original and then do the what-if issue, but we'd have to kind of pick them a little carefully to get ones that fit that. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah. Definitely, yeah. We couldn't just, you know, it would be a long show. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, we could do that. Uh, in fact, when, just recently when I was trying to pick out a DC, uh, one of the things I was looking – because I had seen this e- this email, and I was trying to look at doing um, a Superman one, but I just did not have the time to try to synopsize. Because a lot of those Elseworlds books are huge.
0: Yeah, most of those are like the uh, high-format ones with, you know, 70, 80 pages kind of thing.
2: Yeah, they're, and then – Your typical 20-page comic. Which a lot of the what-ifs are. They're, you know, they're just – they're basic comic size, but uh, – so, yes, we're definitely looking to doing that in the future. And uh, we're, oh, okay. Uh, let, next email is, oh, and tell us who you are, Mr. Silent Walker, 420 at yahoo.com. It's like he's out there hunting the undead or something. Maybe he is one of the undead with a phone. That's why well, he's a Silent Walker. Wouldn't he be Moaning Walker? Uh, mm-hmm. uh,
0: but then he wouldn't stand out. He's unique because he's the silent walker.
2: Well, I'd say he's unique because he's using the—he's a zombie using the cell phone, making breakfast. <laughs> and listening to podcasts. Yeah. So maybe he's not a walker after all. It's a little oh. bit more sedentary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, this next email is from Mr. Jose A. Rivera. And it is entitled, Back to the Bins 140- also known as "I blame Bill," <laughs> don't we all? <laughs> hey guys, so it's been a while since I've written in an email into you guys, but I've been getting back into the show, listening for the past few episodes, starting with the one, uh, starting with the one with the Huckleberry Hound comic, and and it's still the same fun show I remember. Bill brought up a comic called Apollo Smile. Good God, man. I haven't heard that name since I was a kid. Make me feel old. Back in the 90s, I guess I do feel old. (laughs) I would watch comic shows on public access as they were some of the few places that did comic uh, review shows. Apollo Smile used to be on these shows all the time. Sometimes they would do interviews with her, uh, so I got to know her face and her work pretty well from those episodes. No matter which show interviewed here, uh, no matter which show interviewed here, they they always, and I mean always, shows her, showed her singing her song, Itchy Trigger Finger, which has been stuck in my head since I was 14 and is now stuck in my head as it was playing in the, in the background. So thanks for that Vietnam-esque flashback, Bill. First off, I would just like to stop at this point and say that I do not, I do not edit the Back to the Bin shows. I edit the Avengers Spotlight shows. Any 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 future Vietnam flashbacks, you can attribute that to Mister Spataro. <laughs> any flashbacks caused by an Avengers Spotlight show can be attributed to Doctor Bill. Uh, and and but let's let's
0: look at the division of labor here for just a moment. How many Avengers Spotlight shows have been? Aired to this point. Uh, there's the original one
2: we did with Scott. One, one and a half, one point seven five,
0: and and I'm the email episode
2: which I edited. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, so I've done seventy five percent of the work on Avengers Spotlight. If you actually edit the show that
0: you're telling me right now, as we record this, that you're going to edit, which would be aired before this
2: is aired, but you have not yet edited. No, because we've done we've done four shows. And I've, edited, and I've edited three, no, because we had email show. We had- Yeah, we I had did the one, email show. 1.5. Oh, wait. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yes, I know I'm right. So I've done 66% of the work. <laughs> Thank you. And you hope to have completed 75% of the work
0: by the time Look,
2: it airs. Not all of us have all the time in the world to sit around doing dialysis with Stan Lee, okay? <laughs> a lot of us work a yes. lot of hours and don't have all this downtime- being hooked to a machine, there. I mean, you're, you, you're, are you like the supreme intelligence of the two true freaks. You, I just see your 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 head in a big jar.
0: Uh, I, don't know it, about, I don't know about the head in the jar, but I'll take the supreme
2: intelligence part. And you, you're just floating there, saying, "Do this, do that." Well, damn it, I'm I'm Rick Jones, bitch, and I'm <laughs> I'm out there trying to work. I, I'm going. i I've lost it. Why don't you you read Jose's (sighs) letter? And like Bill said in the episode, she hosted the Anime week on the sci-fi channel. Man, I remember that. Yeah, I think I mentioned that like twice in in the episode. I I got a little repetitive, but that's what I do. Listening to the description of the issue. Yeah, this thing sucks a bag of bleeps. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. But credit to her. She tried her best to get herself out there. She always struck me as if Debbie Gibson had somehow lost her mind and really got into anime. Look at the woman. She kind of looks like Gibson. Ah, yes. Yeah. Yep. As soon as he said that. Because in the back of my head, I was thinking, man, she does look like somebody. And I just couldn't picture it. But yeah, she does look like a crazy Debbie Gibson. Which, you know, might not be a bad thing, depending. Did you ever see that uh, movie they had on the sci-fi channel that had Debbie Gibson and uh, Tiffany? The other... No, they're it helpful. never did. And they, well, yeah, but they're... They as, make out? No, even better. They got in a cat fight. Because they know. were... Was, I don't know if that's as good as making out, it but was, okay. It, it was like a low-budget sci-fi channel movie, and it had the two of them on it, and they were going against some crazy creature, I don't know, like a giant crocodile or something. And, like, I think one was a crazy EPA lady, and the other one wanted to kill it, and they just they started fighting each other. So... Well, now, the song is stuck in my head, and I saw the sci-fi channel footage on YouTube, so now this damn song is stuck in my head. Thanks a lot, Paul, although it says Bill in the email. But I, I will fess up that it is my fault, but let's go with
0: the division of blame on this. I would not have put an a, Apollo's a, a, what's-her-name song if you hadn't chose that stupid book. So you still have to take some of the blame.
2: Does, does that mean I still have to read the last two lines of the email? Mm-hmm. But I don't
0: want to. It doesn't matter what you want. Either you read it or we'll get a, a replacement. We'll, I'll bring that LMD in here in a heartbeat. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what, the Scott one? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, he likes D-Man too much. I'd bring in the Bill L.M.D. Well, As for Paul, you're cool. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Jose. You're cool, too.
2: <laughs> get a room. Love the... <laughs> Love the show, guys, and keep up the good work. Jose A. Rivera. Thank you very much, Jose. Thank you.
0: And our last email is from Bobby Coakley, and it's titled, Professor X and Bruce Lee. Dear Paul and Bill, in your February 8th episode, you mentioned a parable about the open hand and the closed fist and whether it involved Professor Charles Xavier or Bruce Lee. (laughs) Because I often mix those two (laughs) up. (laughs) In X-Force Volume 1, Number 19, Sam Guthrie, a.k.a. Cannonball, and Xavier discuss the matter. Sam shows that the closed fist can protect using a field mouse as an example. Sam also says the open hand can hurt. But Xavier grabs him by the wrist before Sam can actually hit him. Xavier decides he can let X-Force go their own way. Also, X-Force member feral kills and eats the mouse
2: kind <laughs> kind of, of, kind of i don't know if she really did that kind of destroys the whole parable doesn't it <laughs> but i honestly don't remember because I, I haven't I, read it in so long i don't
0: think i ever had read that issue but uh bobby did post the page from that on uh,
2: the two free two freaks page right uh no hold was on. it Bobby the, or somebody else that did it no that was someone that was another person that I shouted out on Facebook, and I thought I did it on one of the older shows, so I'm double-checking now. Okay, while you check, I'm going to finish the letter. <laughs> X-Force number 19, written by Fabian
0: Nicieza, with art by Greg Capullo, might be worth reviewing on Back to the Bins. It very well wow. might be. It is an example of a post-crossover cooldown issue, where characters regroup and recover after a major event and decide what they will do next. Keep up the good work, Bobby Coakley. Thank you, Bobby. I appreciate it. And uh, I, like, I like when we get emails like that where they clarify an issue that comes up and, you know, if we got it wrong or if we just didn't have
2: some information and they mm-hmm. uh, do the research for us, which I appreciate. And that was Kevin Thomas King who okay. sent me the, the message. And I just looked at the picture uh, and I don't know if she ate the field mouse or not. I'm going to go with she ate it. Because he's got it in his hand, and the next one, he goes to slap Baldy upside the head, and he's his other hand that had the mouse in it is now behind him. I don't see the mouse. His hand's open, and Farrell is sitting behind him on the ground, grinning. Well, maybe so, you, know, you have to read between the lines a little bit, but I'm, going with, I'm going with she ate it. She might have
0: had an appetizer. Mm. And, uh, thank you, Kevin, for posting it, and Bobby for the email. I appreciate it from both of you. And uh, you, I guys. guess that's it for email today, and after this message, we'll be back to do our books.
2: After these messages, we'll be right back. Gathered together from the far reaches of the internet,
0: our assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero... Superman Superman. The Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman
3: legend featuring The Thrilling Adventures of Superman Golden Age Superman the superman fan podcast superman in the bronze age from crisis to crisis a superman podcast the schuster herald podcast it's superman the carousel podcast the Armored steel a john Allen podcast the world's best podcast and radio kale from supermanhomepage.com
2: join hosts michael bradley
3: john wilson billy hogan charlie niemeyer j david weeder jeffrey taylor michael bailey Scott Gardner, Sam Rizzo, Danny Sapp, Matthew Epps, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Yunus, and co-host Scotty V, at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. <laughs> Ow!
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's getting into the episode. All
2: right. Okay. And we're back. Hey guys, just so you know, I'm having some problems with the internet, so I might be in and out on this a little bit.
0: All right, don't worry about it. We'll we'll work we'll work around that. Hopefully, you'll stay in with no problem. Okay. Cool. Uh, today, uh, Bill, did you do a book? Yeah, I only had a chance to read half of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so <laughs> I I have a Marvel book. Charlie, you got a book, right?
1: I do. I have the indie book this time.
0: All right, because I guess somebody forgot their DC. Uh, Typical. Yeah, what are you going to do? I'll go first with the Marvel. Uh, I picked Marvel Team-Up number 18, which featured the Human Torch and the Hulk, which was a deviation from the norm of the time. When this series started, it started actually with Spider-Man and the Human Torch for the first three issues. Uh, I've never seen any confirmation of it, but I've heard that their original plan was this was going to be a Spider-Man slash Human Torch team-up series, and that was it, Uh, that there weren't going to be other characters necessarily. Uh, And then with issue four, they decided to make it a Spider-Man team-up book, and it was uh, issue four was Spider-Man and the X-Men. And then with issue 18, it was the first issue that did not feature Spider-Man, and it was the Human Torch and the Hulk, and for a while, the Human Torch would take a team up maybe every eight to ten issues or so and and the rest were spider-man this series i'm sorry
1: i said oh that's cool
0: yeah this this was actually a fun series this was uh you know as you and i were talking before we really got started here uh this was the first issue of marvel team up that i picked up off the newsstand as a very young collector and uh for, for a lot of the reasons that a lot of people are telling me nowadays. It's just you know, as a kid, the team up books or the team books are more fun because you feel like you get more bang for your dollar. Which sure. at this time it was for your twenty cents.
1: Wow! Yeah,
0: you know, but you're getting more characters, so you, you know that that's more exciting to you. Uh, so, did, did
1: it, it throw you off having without Spider-Man being in it?
0: It didn't because this was the first issue I got, and I didn't uh, I didn't even realize that this was a Spider-Man series at that point.
1: Ah, well, yeah,
0: good point. So, you know, I wasn't thrown off, but I'm sure people who had been buying the first 17 issues and then saw this one thought, hey, what are they doing?
1: Well, I can tell you that as someone that um, sort of knew about it but hasn't read much of it, that when I first saw that it was the Torch and the Hulk, I was like, oh, okay. Then I was like, wait a minute. Isn't this a Spider-Man book? And then I had it confused with Marvel 2 and 1 which that was The Thing, or Thing, wasn't it? Yep. So I was like, oh, well, maybe they bought Torch instead of Thing or something here. And then I was okay. Then you read the first page, and it says, oh, Spider-Man will be back next time. I was like, oh. So I, yeah.
0: Yeah, right on the splash page, they have the explanation for the fact that Spider-Man isn't in this, which, you know, clues you into the fact that it really was a regular Spider-Man book.
1: <laughs> which probably is another reason why it didn't throw you
0: off too much. yeah. Yeah, that's I don't I don't have any actual memory of reading that back in the day. Uh oh. the first book, the very first book and I've said this before on the show, but the first book I can recall ever buying when all of a sudden some light bulb went on over my head and I said, "Hey, I'm going to start collecting these things," was Spider-Man 131, which I believe was this same month. That's the uh famous one with uh, Aunt May marrying Doc Ock on the cover.
1: Oh, yes. Lovely. <laughs> So, so, so would it be mean of me to ask how 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 young were you when you started the collecting?
0: Well, in February of 1974, I would have been 11. Oh, okay. So I, I mean, I had read comics before this. Uh, what's interesting is when, well, I don't know if it's, it's interesting to me. I don't know if anybody else is interesting, <laughs> but uh, most of my memory of reading. Books before that light bulb went on uh, were DC books, at least in the superhero vein. I mean, you know, there were always the the Sad Sack and Archie and that stuff. But that aside, of the superhero stuff, most of what I me- remember reading was Superman. Actually, uh, but then when the light went on over my head to collect, it was I, I dove feet first into Marvel, and and I think it was more based on the fact that Marvel was so continuity heavy. Uh, and that they took the continuity so seriously, whereas, you know, you, you know the Superman in the Bronze Age at that point, they had a continuity, but it was very loose.
1: Mm, yes, I can agree with that. Yes, I can attest.
0: And it is it is a little revisionist history because I'm, I'm trying to remember what I was thinking, which is difficult to <laughs> do at this point. But I think that I was it's more or cool. less, uh, you know, interested in that continuity and fascinated by it. You know, the the... Footnotes that they would have that would just make me want to go back and see this stuff that had already happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I, I just remember being very excited by the whole thing. I Plus, said, the
1: little ad blurbs at the bottom of each page,
0: <laughs> which is which something that they don't earlier. do anymore. And I can't—I <laughs> I don't blame them for not doing that.
1: No, no, no. It's—it actually reminds me of those little pop-up things that come on on TV shows. Yeah, You're yeah. In the middle of watching a movie, tune in tomorrow night for the—you know—the auditions for the voice. It's like, no, I don't want to do that. I'm watching football. Shut up.
0: Yeah, I also don't want to see your ad while I'm watching football.
1: Yeah, exactly. I can't see the play because I've got, uh, I don't know, Carson Daly's head popping up right in the, yeah.
0: Yeah, that and they have the, you know, the opaque uh, symbol for the network on the TV. It's all very annoying.
1: Yes, actually, that's the only thing that's missing. There's no big Marvel logo on each page. (laughs)
0: <laughs> maybe if you got the uh if you got a digital copy through marvel uh unlimited maybe it would have <laughs> yeah. it then.
1: it has a little ar things and stuff yeah good stuff
0: so uh this was again february 1974 the cover price was 20 cents the cover is by gil kane and inked by frank giacoya uh, i really like this cover the torch is front and center Although he's facing away from the reader, uh, he's airborne and pelting the Hulk with fireballs, and the Hulk is down on the ground at the bottom right corner, and it appears that the fire is slowing him down or creating a nuisance to him, but despite that, he he still looks menacing and he's ready to get up and kind of rip the torch a new one. Uh, the story is titled Where Bursts the Bomb, and it's written by Len Wein, the art is by Gil Kane, and inked by Frank Giacoya and Mike Esposito. And I think when I'm done doing the synopsis, we need to talk a little bit about the art in this book, because it's, uh, it's atypical as far as I'm concerned for uh, Gil Kane work. Okay. But uh, it's lettered by Jean Izzo and colored by Glynis Wein, Len Wein's wife at the time, edited by Roy Thomas. The story opens with the torch flying along uh, with his best friend uh, Wyatt Wingfoot and Wyatt's traveling on an air cycle of some sort. They come across two men running from a crash truck with the apt words explosives written on the side. Uh, The truck is of course on fire. Uh, It's gone into like a ditch or something and Wyatt spirits the two men away on the air cycle while Johnny creates a dome of concentrated flames to contain the explosion and then, for good measure, melts the roadway to repair the crater left by the explosion that's caused by the truck. Two sounds hero- plausible. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as, as I'm driving along on the uh, Long Island Expressway, I often see the trucks next to me with the word explosives written on the side.
1: <laughs> well, it's New York. I, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we don't have that here in Oklahoma, but, you know, New York, I don't know. <laughs>
0: Thankfully, I'm being facetious because I have yet to ever see a truck with explosives written on the side. (laughs) Except in comics. And it's funny that all the trucks with explosives written on the side are always in accidents in the comics. None of of them ever arrive safely.
1: No. (laughs) Uh, I would never drive that kind of truck, really. Yeah, really. It's just got to be hell on insurance.
0: (laughs) You think? (laughs) I mean, they they make a big deal about... uh, like if if you go to get a propane a propane tank for your barbecue, I know they make a big deal about you traveling in your car with it. So could you imagine driving a truck full of you know nitroglycerin or something like that? Oh lord,
1: yeah it's just hazardous chemical trucks. Yeah.
0: Pay no mind. <laughs> Especially <laughs> well, in the tunnel. After after the rescue, the two her- our two heroes fly off, and uh, we rejoin them moments later in their camping, but apparently with no supplies. And as they sit, uh, an alarm goes off indicating uh, that, according to Johnny, the moment that Reed dreaded is here. Which really seems really like kind of a stretch. That that he's got an alarm on that air cycle to let him know, basically, if Blastar ever escapes from the, whatever situation he was in. Uh, and yet Reed doesn't have any alarm. But, eh, whatever. From there, from there, we cut to a... Uh, cottage with a hidden lab underneath it, and we meet Professor Paxton Pentecost, who's performing some type of an operation using a gamma laser. We hear that he's been working on a resurrection for two years, and then the containment unit that's in the lab with him bursts open, revealing Blastar, who is aching for revenge. He closes in on the Professor, but the Professor presses some button, causing Blastar an extreme migraine. He gives up like a little girl and swears to obey whatever the professor asks him to do at that point. We then uh, recap Blastar's two battles in the books to date, which was one with the Fantastic Four and then one with the X-Men, both a few years earlier. Following the battle with the X-Men, he was apparently electrocuted and thought to be dead, but he was revived by Professor Pentecost, who was bombarding him with gamma radiation to do that. Okay, uh, it's comic book science. Uh, the professor indicates that he revived Blastar to get revenge on the man who stole the Ad- admantium factory from him that he had designed. He says that Blastar has the only force powerful enough to challenge its walls, which again, comic science, I guess. Meanwhile, the Hulk, for reasons that escape me, leaps into a, the middle of a construction site. Uh, One of the workers hits him with a wrecking ball, which shatters on contact. And as he basically destroys the site, he's tormented by a buzzing in his head and leaps off to find where it's coming from. Back to Blastar, who's somehow able to breach the factory walls with his bombardment of blasts from his hands, uh, which is not really the way Admantium works in the comics, so I don't really get it. Uh, But anyway... As he prepares to inflict more damage, the torch attacks him, and the torch avoids a blast from him, which instead hits his best friend Wyatt Wingfoot's cycle, but Wyatt luckily is able to land. The torch presses the attack, but Blastar just absorbs his flames and shoots back energy at him, throwing him sailing away. Luckily, his trajectory brings him right into the hands of the Hulk, who catches him.
1: What a coincidence.
0: Yeah, really the Hulk complains about the buzzing in his head and the torch decides to tell him that it's Blastar to fool the Hulk into fighting Blastar for him Uh, we cut back to Blastar and Professor Pentecost who are being confronted by some uniformed guards and an industrialist named uh, Ferguson Blaine who Pentecost is who's the guy who Pentecost blames for stealing the factory Blastar blasts the guards aptly and knocks them all out at this point, Pentecost has some u- uniformed men grab Blake, and it turns out that they're really not men. They're just uniformed robots. They and Pentecost take Blake inside the building. But before entering, Pentecost tells Blastar to reduce the factory to rubble. And so Blastar starts blasting away. The key word here, I guess, is blast. But uh,
1: <laughs> Well, he is Blastar. So.
0: And he blasts quite well. Yes, he's good at it. So as he's blasting which he is wont to do, the Hulk grabs him and tosses him into some rubble, and it turns out that he actually is causing the pain that the Hulk is feeling, so again, yet another coincidence, Uh, and that's caused by the gamma radiation, which is what empowers the Hulk in the first place, and therefore, the gamma radiation is kind of causing interference. Did not see that coming. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Because <laughs> it looked like a giant truck heading towards me. <laughs> Marked explosives. Yes. It all comes back to the start. See, it's, like, it's just like a circle. <laughs> so, while the two big men battle, the torch goes off in search for the men inside of the building, and we learn, of course, that Pentecost is an old friend of Reed Richards, because every brilliant scientist is a friend of Reed Richards. Of course. The torch reaches them, and Pentecost reveals that he plans to stay with Blaine inside the factory while it crumbles around them, and that's how he's going to get revenge. He aims a gun at Blaine, and the torch manages to melt it without, melt it and uh, does it without vaporizing Pentecost's hand somehow. Uh, For some reason, that snaps Pentecost out of his uh, evilness, and he realizes what he's done, and says that, you know, now that he's set Blastar free, there's nothing that they're going to be able to do to stop him. Meanwhile, in total contradiction of that, the Hulk and Blastar are battling away, and Blastar... Because he was gamma irradiated, his blasts are weakening the Hulk, and he brings the Hulk to, down to all fours, but the Hulk, but the torch provides a uh, a burst of flames that uh, inter- causes interference for him. At his suggestion, the Hulk grabs some of the rubble and clobbers Blastar with it and then squeezes it around Blastar, making a giant metal ball. He takes that ball and tosses it into the Atlantic Ocean... And at that, the buzzing in his head stops, and he says, okay, and leaps off. The torch does a little moralizing, and the story comes to a close at that point. So it's all wrapped up in a nice, neat little package after, whatever it is, 20 pages or so of story. And when I was 11, I loved it. Now, (laughs) I'm nostalgic for it, but I can't say I love it anymore.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's cool. Uh, When did, how long has the Human Torch been pretending he was um, the Shazam Captain Marvel
0: with his uniform, because
1: he's looking pretty
0: much oh, the, like that. The red country. uniform, you mean?
1: Yeah, red and yellow. What's up with that?
0: Yeah, that was in Fantastic Four 132 or so, somewhere around there. I give or take a couple issues. Uh, it was... Yeah, I'm pretty sure that that's about where it was. Uh, they They had a story with the Inhumans and they had some sort of a machine that would like repair their clothing or something. And there was a battle and their clothing was, you know, kind of shredded a little. And when they went into it, it would make changes. And it changed him from the blue uniform to the red uniform. And the theory was that he loved the stories of the old original Human Torch and that he was basically copying that outfit. I would say he kept that until the 150s of the FF, so about two years or so, Okay. and then he went back to the blue uniform. And there was also a stage there where uh, Sue Richards had left the Fantastic Four and Medusa of the Inhumans temporarily joined the FF in her place, which was also for about the same length of time.
1: Oh, okay. Wow. I didn't know that one.
0: Well uh, again, this is where I this is where I came into the story. So when I started buying he had the red uniform.
1: Oh, a good point, yes. So this is this was just regular status quo for you.
0: Yeah, except I mean my familiarity with these characters, with these two characters in particular at that time would have been from the nineteen sixties Fantastic Four cartoon and the nineteen sixties Marvel uh, Heroes cartoons.
1: Oh, okay. So yeah. Except that these don't have moving mouths, other than that, it's pretty much
0: the same. Yeah, well the, the Fantastic Four cartoon was a little better as far as the animation goes. It wasn't the they still photo rocked back and forth for effect. It wasn't great animation, but you know, it was better than the uh than than the Marvel superheroes animation. Although I still that that I definitely have a level of uh nostalgia for and I get a kick out of those. I would hope so. <laughs> but uh, I mean the story there's a lot of convenient plot elements to this story that don't totally make sense if you really pay attention to it, but if you just kind of go with the flow, it's not so bad. I think the story's okay if you're not gonna
1: yeah, if you don't focus too things.
0: much. Yeah, yeah if exactly. You don't focus on it too much. It's if, not you, too bad if you kind of squint a little and let it blur. <laughs> you know, it's not bad. And the artwork, I, I've talked about Gil Kane in the past. Like when when I was 11, 12, 13, or whatever, I really didn't have any appreciation for Gil Kane's artwork. It was a little harsh-looking, a little hard. Uh, As I got older, I I grew to appreciate it more and more and more. Unfortunately, the cover I love on it, but the rest of the artwork in this, I feel, is lacking. And I'm looking at it, and as I look at it closely, I think it's mostly the inking that I'm not liking. The Giacoya Esposito inks, they, they seem to have almost taken the pencils and just made the pencil marks darker instead of embellishing it in any way, instead of cleaning it up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Especially if you look on page four, uh, down at the bottom, there's a couple of close-ups of the torch, and it really looks like, you know, they they would have looked much nicer if they had just kind of solidified them a little instead of leaving them kind of scratchy, which is what they did. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I, I like you. Uh, granted, it's a different time. By the time I've, I was introduced to the artwork of Gil Kane, but I have I have a hot and cold kind of thing with his work. Uh, sometimes it depends on it. Kind of depends on my mood, I guess, or what he's drawing or the era he's drawing it in. Mm-hmm. This I mean, I mean, this doesn't look bad. Other but like you said, the inks are really hurting it. Uh, I've seen stuff where he's inked it himself. I've seen stuff where he's been inked by like Joe Rubenstein and stuff where he's been inked by Romeo Tangal and uh, stuff from when he during his early Green Lantern work. Mm-hmm. And there's some of the stuff that actually looks pretty cool, but for the most part, it just, like you said, it looks really sketchy.
0: Yeah, I I think his his layouts are really nice. They are kind of dyna- dynamic. They they show the action. They tell the story, and if you if you look at the pencils, if you kind of so it's again it's almost the same thing. If you squint a little, uh, mm-hmm. and 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 you and you just kind of look at the pencils and and try to imagine it if it was just cleaned up a little bit more, I think this could be really top notch art, mm-hmm. but. Unfortunately, they just kind of, I think they got lazy with it or they were rushing. The fact that there's two anchors makes me think maybe they were rushing to get the, to the deadline or something. Yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking.
1: And it, unfortunately, it kind of looks like it. Yeah. It, 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 a lot of it, it kind of has that kind of sketchy uh, Joe Kubert kind of look to it, some of it, too.
0: A little bit, but when when, when it's in the Joe Kubert work, the sketchiness seems to have more of a purpose. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like I said, this this almost looks like he, he left the sketchiness almost with the thought that they're going to clean this up in, in inking. Yeah. He, and, like he
1: had to leave the pencils looser so he had time to get through all of it. And then they just didn't embelli- embellish it enough.
0: Yeah. Exactly. That That's the way I'm I'm seeing this one. And, uh, you know, like I said, the, the cane art looks fine to me. It's the... Mm-hmm. Just the final product that lacks a little bit. I do. I like the way he would show characters at different angles than would be normal. Uh, you know, I started with, with saying it on the cover, you know, the, the human torch is front and center, but he's not even facing the reader. He's actually facing away from the reader. Yeah.
1: It's it weird. ain't uh, He's really contorted himself there,
0: but yeah. Well, I guess, you know, the, the thought is he's, he's just thrown a fireball and it's kind of his post throwing motion. And, uh, Based on the cover, he's thrown with both hands because he just let loose with one with his left hand, and he's got a fireball in his right hand ready to go.
1: Mm-hmm. From what I've read and stuff, and what I've seen, uh, Gil Kane was real always really good with the anatomy, and he could he could put people have them contort in weird ways that you wouldn't normally see, and use angles that you wouldn't normally see at the time. Mm-hmm. But he knew enough about he was. Good, really good with the anatomy, so that he could make it look believable, like the kind of twisting up that Johnny's doing on the cover. No one else—I mean, Kirby wouldn't draw him looking like that. Um, uh, who else? Ramita wouldn't draw him. Look, you know, anyone DC or Marvel probably wouldn't draw a character looking that way. But Gil Kane not only draws him looking that way, but it looks believable. Yeah. Nothing looks too small. Nothing looks like. The angle's weird on it. I mean, everything looks like if you were actually going to – well, I hope you'd be, like, laying down trying to do this pose. But if you were doing this pose, this is how a person would
0: look. Yeah, I, I agree. And and even even in the same shot, the Hulk down at the bottom, it's, it's an unusual angle and an unusual mm-hmm. position that he's basically, like, down on the ground, you know, being – like I said, at least annoyed by the fireballs, which <laughs> you, you wouldn't even think, I mean, you wouldn't even think they would bother him that much that it, that he would just kind of shrug them off and, and you know, they wouldn't be sufficient to knock him down. But it's still a pretty dramatic pose for the cover. And like I said, even though he's kind of getting the worst of it at that moment, he, he has a threatening look about him that, you know, this is only at best slowing him down. Yeah, he does not look happy.
1: Who did you say was the inker on the cover?
0: Uh, Frank Giacoya.
1: Okay. It looks different than the inside parts. It's
0: weird. Maybe yes, was zero. It looks, it looks much, much cleaner. This is what if if the interior was inked the way the cover is. I think this would be a really good issue. Otherwise, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, it's weird. It's almost like they had like a lot of time to do the cover, and then it was like, "Oh crap, we've got like three days to do the rest of the issue." <laughs> I don't know what happened. It's weird.
0: I I agree. I, I wonder if. Uh... I wonder if Mike Esposito was supposed to do the inking on the interior, and he got saved by Giacoya, who did such a fine job on the cover. Maybe, I you know, I wish I knew which pages were inked by who.
1: I'm almost wondering, just because of the level of solid, uh, the solidity, uh, I guess would be the word for it, on um, the uh, backgrounds versus the characters. If Giacoya did the backgrounds. And Esposito did the, char- the characters or the figures.
0: That's possible. That's I. You know, I have no idea what kind of, what you know, what kind of breakdown they would do. But but there yeah. does almost appear to be a difference between the characters and everything else. Because yeah, the cause I, I'm doing
1: I'm like you I'm I'm wondering who did what where and looking at it the characters all look pretty much consistent all the way through, and. I know from my own show that Koya has got a pretty heavy inking, so I mean there might be maybe what page is this uh page twenty three looks maybe yeah, I think it just looks like the backgrounds look a lot more solid
0: than yeah. any of the characters do. I would definitely agree with that, and i didn't I hadn't noticed that until you said it, but yeah, I would agree.
1: Don't quote me on it, though, folks. I'm no expert on this kind
0: of stuff, but, yeah. Oh, none of us are experts. We just yeah. <laughs> uh, we just enjoy trying to figure it out sometimes. It's fun. But uh, overall, uh, just as far as reading this book, I was just – I hadn't really thought in advance what I would do. I'm thinking I'm going to give the story – I'm going to say it's an average story. It's not especially good. It's not especially bad. I'd go with a C. Uh, the art and the interior, I really like the pencils. I really don't like the inking. So I probably would have given, I probably give the pencils a B, the inking a D. So I'm going to just average that out to a C as well. Uh, and the cover I'm giving a B plus cause I really like the cover. So overall I'm giving the book, I, I the cover alone isn't going to be enough to save it. So I got to give it a, a C overall. Okay.
1: Yeah, I could see that. I, I, I would have to agree. The story was, as someone who's never read this one before, and a little older than eleven when he read it the first time, um, I could I would say it's a pretty interesting story. Although the ending was a little pat.
0: Yeah, it all got wrapped up very quickly.
1: Yeah, and and of course you know they killed Blaster uh, seemingly. Mm-hmm. So that's a little
0: that's a little weird. Well, but, in um, theory he had been killed in the last time he appeared also.
1: <laughs> exactly. That was something I was going to ask you. Uh have has this Pentecost guy ever shown up before to your knowledge?
0: No, not that I'm aware of. As far as I know, he's one and done. Okay. Okay. Uh
1: I I I found it funny when I found when his name had the double P's. But then I was very upset when this other guy uh Doesn't have what's his name? The rich Blaine? guy, Ferguson Blaine. What's up with that? Shouldn't <laughs> yeah. so it be like Bob Blaine or Ferguson Flatulence or something? I don't <laughs> know <laughs> something with a F. I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, you you would but, think. I mean, that that was uh, the Stan Lee trademark, and you would think all yeah. the writers at that point would go for the same thing. Now, the, another another point of just uh, you know, I I know you're mostly a DC guy, but I you, you know. I'm guessing you you're familiar with the uh, adamantium of the Marvel universe.
1: Ah, uh, yes, uh, Wolverine.
0: Yeah, especially it, that was introduced in an issue of the Avengers. Uh, I'm, again, I'm I'm kind of guessing at the issue somewhere in the late '60s or the early '70s in in those numbers, uh, okay. and it was basically you know an indestructible metal uh, that you had to go through all sorts of things in order to manipulate it at all. You know, it started off, like I said, they introduced it in the Avengers, and they started off, like, testing it with Thor, using his hammer, trying to see if he could do any damage at all to it. And he couldn't. Oh, cool. So so to all of a sudden just have Blastar come in here, and, and, you know, because he he shoots it a few times, it falls apart. Uh, That doesn't make sense. Yeah, it must have
1: been bad adamantium.
0: Yeah, even the fact that the Hulk is able to crush it around Blastar at the end also doesn't make sense. It makes sense from the story point of view of, okay, that's what you could use to contain him, but it doesn't make sense that he would be able to manipulate it that easily.
1: So basically, not only do parts of this story defy the laws of actual physics, but also Marvel physics,
0: is yes. what you're saying. Yes, yes. That's amazing. And that's that's where I have a problem. You know, people tend to say, you know, oh, you could believe that this happens, but you can't believe this. Uh, And I think, you know, the reality of it is you set an internal logic, you set an internal set of rules, and you have to live by those rules. Mm -hmm. And the rules are that adamantium cannot be broken apart or destroyed that easily.
1: I was also under the impression that there wasn't a whole lot of it.
0: Yeah, that's, I don't know... I don't know if they've played fast and loose with that. They probably have, because I think they find it when it's convenient to find it. Well, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I don't think there's supposed to be a whole lot of it around, either. Because uh, cause
1: otherwise, like, everything in Marvel Universe would be built of that stuff. Yeah. And there, I think there's some in Cap shield.
0: Yeah, I think Cap shield is a combination of adamantium and vibranium.
1: Yeah, that's what I've read. So there's that, and then Wolverine's been bathed in it, but... Other than that, I, of course, like like you said, I'm I'm a DC guy, so I don't know.
0: Well, Uh, there was a point where Sabertooth's skeleton was also laced with it. Uh, I think Lady Deathstrike has some in her. Uh, Ultron at one point was made of adamantium. Oh lord! So there's tons of it. Yeah. Like I said, when it's convenient.
1: Yeah, yeah. But still, that's like one. You know, each time it's just one being parts of the being, well, Ultron's a robot, so maybe his whole body, but the others, it's like just their skeletons and stuff. This is a whole freaking laboratory complex.
0: Yeah. Well, it's so it's it's a, a, it's all they say is it's a factory. Easy. They don't say what, what it's used to make, what it's used oh, yeah, to do yeah. anything with. It's just a factory. Adamantium factory.
1: And then my favorite part, though, is the fact, like you said, um, what's his name? Johnny Tremaine, I think. Is he... I read that in... High school, so I don't remember. But this, the way, uh, on page twenty-seven, the torch blasts the uh, that gun, melting the gun without hurting the doctor's hands, and then the gun doesn't like melt all over his hand.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Meanwhile, meanwhile, you know, I'm trying to cook something. If a little butter splatters on me, I cry like a little girl.
1: (laughs) Oh, so do I, man. I can't. uh, That hurts. I don't know how. Maybe the doctor's just tough.
0: Yeah, I guess so. He can handle melted gun on him. Uh, Uh, But yeah, yeah, Bill, you've been quiet. Do you have any uh, rating for this book?
2: Uh, yeah, I guess it's all right. Uh, Nothing, you know, stupendous. Yeah.
0: You have a letter grade for it? D. Wow. Okay,
1: I didn't see that one coming either.
0: Yeah, me neither. Yeah, what are you gonna do?
1: Uh, and then, of course, the back cover—the only, um, uh, the only ad you end available in this version of the issue—Evil uh, Knievel. Mm-hmm. You can't. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Now, right around the same time as this was out, they had a uh, free giveaway book—a free comic, uh, an Evil Knievel comic—to promote the uh, stunt cycle that they were selling at the time. I have no recollection as to what team put it together. uh, But I took a copy of it and I put it in an envelope and I mailed it to uh, Marvel Comics on Madison Avenue. And I sent a letter along with it asking for autographs. And I got it back a couple of weeks later with a bunch of autographs in it. including Including Stan Lee, Steve Gerber, John Romita. uh, I can't even think off the top of my head. I think John Verporten and...
1: Wow, yeah you
0: know, just a bunch of Marie Severin,
1: wow, that's cool, and you of course still have it
0: oh absolutely and and I have it and I have it in a you know I have it in a bag, and in the bag, I have a postcard at the front of it that lists all the different autographs that are in it, but I don't have it handy to tell you exactly who's in it oh
1: okay, wow, that's cool. See, Marvel seems to do be really good with doing that, at least back then uh with, you hear about that stuff all the time. you don't hear about it as much with d c which is unfortunate.
0: Yeah, at the time I had had also, uh, you know, I wrote a letter to Stan Lee and he sent me back a postcard that I still have. And it says, you know, to my pal, Paul Spitaro, best wishes, Stan Lee. Uh, I had written one to John Romita and he sent me back and it's got a little very, you know, it's a postcard, but it's got a a little head sketch of Spider-Man on it. Uh, (laughs) Another one I sent to Herb Trimpey and it's got a very tiny Hulk on it that he drew. Uh, and I had sent a couple of books to Jack Kirby and he autographed them and sent them back to me.
1: Wow. See, you know, we were talking about the age thing and as much as I might it, it later on in the episode, give you crap for your age. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have to say that you were, you came in and you're at the age for the, for a real fun time with the comics.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, especially the Marvel stuff. That's it's Cause... my favorite era.
1: Yeah, because by the time I was getting into comics, it was, well, you mentioned 1990. I, it was actually 92, but um, you know they weren't doing that stuff anymore. Of course, by that time they were also having the big conventions, so you could go meet the pe- meet them, and get them to do it in person. But and while they might have the letter columns, they just you don't hear about as much stuff like that happening at that point.
0: Well, and, I, I can give you a little background on that, too, because it was different then, too, and to some extent, I thought I think it was better back then, also. Uh, you know, this is from the perspective of somebody living in New York. I have no idea what it would have been like in Oklahoma. Uh,
1: yeah, I, well, wasn't, I was in Maryland then, too, so.
0: <laughs> okay. But uh, once every month, once every two months or so, they would have a show uh, in, in, like, a hotel in Manhattan near Madison Square Garden. Uh, There was the Hotel McAlpin, I remember. There were a couple of other hotels that they would have it in. And, you know, the bigger shows would have bigger guests, but smaller shows would have some guests too. And it wasn't the same... Uh, there wasn't the same, you know, attraction of people that there is now. So it was much more personalized. I remember, uh, you know, when Howard the Duck was coming out and Steve Gerber was a big thing. I remember going to a show with my buddies and Steve Gerber was there, and we were sitting and talking to him. And you know, it was like there wasn't a big crowd around. It was, you know, it was kind of cool. Uh, the big one I could give you a difference on, and this was one of the bigger shows at the time. But Stan Lee was at a show that we went to and he got up and you know, they had him in a room and they had him give basically a talk to the whole crowd for like an hour or so. And then after he was done talking, he stood outside and he signed autographs for everybody. And, uh, wow. when you, when you waited on the line and you got up to talk to him, you know, you, you might have to wait on the line for half an hour or so, but when you got up, he would actually talk to you and, and, you know, you could, you know, you could spend a minute talking to him. Uh, in comparison, uh, 2 years ago my son and I went to a show where Stan was there and uh, we paid money to ha- to to go in and take a picture with him and they move you in and out like cattle you you go in you sa- <laughs> you know, you stand next to him they take the picture and you go out there's no time to talk to him you know and the, Stan was very excited the most you could do is while, when you walked in you had a moment to say hi and he said oh. hello back and then you took the picture and you left you know you couldn't start trading stories wow.
1: with or anything could you at least shake his hand? No. Or were they afraid afraid you'd break
0: something? No, no, no shaking his hand.
1: Wow, that is wow.
0: Yeah, I give, I give him credit that you know when we took the picture, he, you know he put his his arm around my son's shoulders for the picture, but uh, you know that there was no uh, wow, nothing beyond that.
1: Yeah, you know, and it's it's even more recent. I I kind of got that a somewhat similar experience to that like. Well, I was in I used to live in Maryland and I went to the Baltimore Comic Con like when it first started. And when it first started, it was literally almost like the one-day shows, mm-hmm. except, you know, two days. Uh but it was like the the main portion of the show took place inside like the ballroom or some big co- huge conference room, really stuffy and hot. And then you know, they'd have a few tables set up for quote-unquote celebrities and you would get like Mark Wade and George Perez and Frank Cho was there before he was known Mm -hmm. so I I feel stupid for missing out because I was like I don't like Liberty Meadows why would I care about that guy anyway um, but I actually got to you know have a conversation with like Murphy Anderson that's pretty cool was a classic inker and well, of course, he was signing something for me, but, you know, we actually did get to have a little bit of a, a little chat and stuff, and that was really cool. A couple of years later, uh, the the convention had grown big enough to take over the Baltimore Convention Center, mm-hmm. and it was one of those – I mean, it wasn't – it was no San Diego or New York, but it was, you know, huge. And at that one, I think George Perez was there again, but, I mean, he – and he talks to everybody. But he he wasn't having time to talk to anybody because he couldn't sign it. He you know he was signing and just moving people through.
0: Yeah, well, if they spend so, too much time talking to individual people, then the people at the back of the line are never getting up there. You know, exactly. It's, it's a balancing act.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, that's the thing though. It's just there were so many people he had to keep pull, you know pushing them through. Where before it was like they had time to talk. Right. I think the only one I had that I actually got to spend any time with was Julie Schwartz. But that was he, uh, he. I don't. I don't think he was altogether there.
0: He <laughs> yeah, came. Up, the end. I know. What means,
1: <laughs> yeah, so. he he came up and I think it was. I think I gave him like two thirty. 230, Superman two thirty three or two thirty four, and he looks at it, signs it, and then talks to the guy that was next to him. I think it was like his aide or something, and, or his handler, and just spent the whole time talking, Well, I got Dennis. Dennis O'Neill to come in and write Superman is like he never talked to me, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that was weird. But I could have just—I literally just stood there and listened because if I had walked off, he would have just kept talking
0: and (laughs) it wouldn't have mattered. No, I mean, but uh, but I I know, you know, at the New York Comic Con, uh, I have had an opportunity to talk to some people. You know, I, I, you know, it's not all the Stanley experience where you kind of shuffled off. But there are, you know, it's—it's definitely not that personal one-on-one conversation that you could have that you used to be able to have years ago. But I mean, I know right. I had, you know, pretty extensive talks with Jimmy Palmiati. Uh, I had a real nice conversation two years ago with Neil, uh, Neil Adams. Uh, I, I had gone on the Thursday, which was a more limited crowd. You know, you, can oh, only yeah, go on Thursday if, you if you had the four day ticket, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you were able to buy on their own, but Thursday was only for a four day ticket. So it was a much smaller crowd on that day. And I probably had about a f- good 15-minute talk with Neil Adams, which was really cool. Oh, wow. Uh, I you know, I had a pretty decent talk with Rich Buckler, pretty decent talk with Herb Trimpey. Uh, Billy Tucci and I got to talk for a while. So, I mean, there, there are people who you can have some good conversations with. On the other hand, when I went in on Friday when it was the full crowd, uh, mm-hmm. I saw Neil Adams' booth that day and people were walking in. He'd get a signature, he would say hello, and then they'd moved on because he had a big long line.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Actually, now that I think about it, that reminds me of um, when we had mentioned Dave Weeder earlier. He and I went to the Superman celebration this year, mm-hmm. or last year. And, of course, uh, they do have comic book people there. Uh, but uh, the the amount of people that are in that room, it literally is like kind of what you were talking about. I, they had like um, one of the guys that does like the Tiny Titans and those books. Oh,
0: yeah. I, I, uh, I
1: can't think was of his Aud, name. Was
0: it Art Yes, because
1: yes. he drew me a sketch. Um, but they had like Chris Sprouse was there and Ron Friends was there and Brett Breeding was there. And they there was like no one in the room. And we were in there talking to some of the people and I literally just would watch, was watching them draw their sketches because they weren't doing autographs at the time. They were doing sketches. And while they're doing their sketches, just having a little bit of a chat, Brett Breeding told me the story of uh, what uh, what exactly the creative process was going on when George Perez had his short stint on action comics in the late 80s. Um, Ron Friends was talking to someone about um, the whole Energy Superman thing. It, it was just really cool to mm-hmm. listen, you know, just to cuz you get you get that insight then. But you, know, you when you go to the big ones, you just have to miss out on unless it's like someone that is just starting out and therefore no one's going up to <laughs> get their autograph or check out their stuff yet. Yeah. By it, by the time you want to meet them, <laughs> they're too busy.
0: Yeah, but there's there's definitely something that's really cool about being able to, you know, just have a, a, a full conversation You know, and, and I'm not talking about, you know, you monopolizing a day, but just, you know, be able to talk to them for 10 minutes or so and, you know, not just say, Oh yeah, I like your work and move on, <laughs> you know, did I lose you again? No, I muted. Oh, okay.
1: Um, <laughs> by accident. Um, but yeah, it's like it's you're not just like oh I like that issue you did two years ago. Are you ever gonna come back? Uh oh, probably not. Next. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. That's uh, not that I have any problem with it because you know me just going up and getting their autographs is really cool too. It is, so, and,
0: I, and I don't want to make everybody else wait twenty minutes while I have a you know bogus conversation with somebody because that's not exactly. cool either. But yeah, you know when when you can balance it all like the you know like I said when I when I was. Talking to Neil Adams, it was because he had a quiet moment in the booth at that point, and there was no reason to rush out of there. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I was sitting down. I had bought a uh, a print that he signed, and then after he signed it, we were talking for a while, and he was very open for conversation. Which sometimes,
1: and sometimes you get up to them, and someone's standing there interviewing them for like CBR, or Newsarama, or Wizard, or well used to be wizard or you know any number of websites or magazines or whatever so they can't talk to you but they're signing autographs while they're talking to this person so you you just kind of deal with what you can get
0: yeah exactly (laughs) you know you you don't want to be a pain in the ass either exactly
1: how did we get to this
0: uh i don't remember (laughs) so why don't we why don't we why don't we take a break and put a promo in here and then we'll get on to our uh independence
1: that sounds like a good idea how about you bill
3: this is bullshit I prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night, searching for justice, blind justice, a guardian devil.
2: <coughs> <coughs> no, 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 that's not actually true. I'm not Daredevil, blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night. No, I am J. David Weeder, a podcaster, but you can call me Dave. I do read about Daredevil and his adventures, and I podcast about it on my show, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. You see, it's, it's my Daredevil. You get it, you get it. Every Sunday, I read a Daredevil comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. That is daredevilpodcast.com. Take the dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Did I really just say take the dare?
0: All right, so uh, you got The Independent today, right, Charlie? I do? I do! And yes. what do you got?
1: I have got a comic that's a, a, just a few years er, uh, later than yours. Um, this is Gatecrasher Ring of Fire number 1 from March 2000. Well, that's the cover date, which probably means it came out in December of 99, but I don't know.
0: Uh, so by a few years so- later, you mean almost 30?
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah, Uh, I count that as just a few because um, because I'm only thirty something. So, yes, Uh, this is from Black Bull Entertainment, and I don't know if you read ahead to the uh, letters page, but this is actually was a um, part of a. It actually turned out to be a short-lived experiment kind of thing. Uh, Wizard, you remember Wizard magazine? Yes, the comics magazine. They decided to venture out into making making original comics instead of just always doing – they're always at least putting money for, towards those uh, half issues for the next big comic like Ultimate Spider-Man half, Ultimate X-Men half, Nightwing half, Iron Man half, these half issues or whatever, um, or special covers. This, this was completely original comic book uh, – Excuse me. Uh, I guess they call them IPs, intellectual properties. This is Gatecrasher, uh, created basically by Mark Wade, Jimmy Palmiani, and Amanda Connor uh, before those two got married because they only just recently got married. And it is their first – the first series this comic company put out. To my knowledge, it's the only comic series this company put out. Uh, this is part. Uh, this is the first issue of a four-issue miniseries that set up an ongoing series for Gatecrasher that only lasted six issues that were released sporadically before um, the 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 comic side of things just kind of stopped and folded. So unfortunately, it ends on a cliffhanger, which kind of sucks. <laughs> but uh, the the miniseries is actually pretty fun. I actually like it. It's a lot of fun. But we're gonna. I'm going to kind of show you that as we go into it. But the issue is Gate Crasher Ring of Fire number 1 like I said with a cover date of March 2000, a cover price of again it's just a little bit higher than yours was. Uh $2.50 a, uh, in the US, 3.75 Canada. So that was another thing that was a little more expensive even at that point than a lot of the regular comics coming out at that moment. Um the cover is by Amanda Connor on pencils and inked by Jimmy Palmiotti, who you've met at a comic convention in New York, apparently. Yes. And uh colored by Liquid Graphics, who did a lot of coloring for Marvel at this point too. Uh and it basically shows the team, uh the Gate Crasher team. I can't really tell you much more than that. Uh they they're all in their cool half armor, half Shiny spandex uniforms, and most of them have guns,
0: not the huge nineteen nineties guns though
1: no, 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 these are actually a little more a uh, little smaller uh one just looks barely like a slightly large pistol with an extra mag uh, extra uh, extra magazine attached to it. We're going to call it a magazine because I can't think of the name, but yeah, anyway <clears throat> uh the writer of this issue of course, is Mark Wade with. Oh, and also Jimmy Palmiotti. pencils were by Amanda Conner the inks were by Jimmy Palmiotti, with background assists by Aletha Martinez and Thomas Flormante is how I'm choosing to say it uh, the colors were by Liquid Graphics and the letters were by Comicraft's West Abbott and there's probably an editor and stuff but I don't know who did, who did what so I just kind of skipped those uh, we, the story starts out outside of a 24 hour bug mart which is actually just a convenience store not a bug store where a squad of soldiers prepares for the appearance of something called a gate. To stop whatever may pop out from popping out of the gate, Crasher Delvin heads towards the gate, preparing to enter it. it But as the gate opens and he begins to head in, a hand pops out, grabbing Crasher by the neck and breaking it. The rest of the the soldiers open fire, but Crasher's body is basically in the way, allowing the alien bug to escape. Later, back at whatever headquarters is, Commander Hazard is in charge of protecting something called the Think Tank. Although the installation is sealed, one of the soldiers inside finds himself dissolving thanks to excrement from the alien bug from earlier, which is about as gross as it sounds. Uh, Before another soldier can get a bead on the the bug, the bug actually pops his head like a pimple, also beautiful to see on the screen, or on the page. Well, thankfully,
0: grab... thankfully, that's only just a big I smear instead of actually <laughs> seeing the head pop.
1: Yeah, good. well, it's, it does say pop.
0: It does say <laughs> pop, you're right. And
1: yes, yes. Um, and it burns, burns, where was Sorry to interrupt. Oh. <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. I, I, I glanced down at the page, and then I lost my note. Uh, the, the bug then grabs the think tank and heads through another gate back to its home. As such, Hazard tells Subcom to order all soldiers to the gate immediately, all except for one whom she's going to go get personally. The soldier in question is one Alec Wagner, who earlier that day was watching his scantily clad girlfriend Mia work on her car. Tonight is prom night, and while she threatens him not to miss this one like she's missed, like he's missed her birthday party, and his birthday party, or the Backstreet Boys concert she got tickets for, which actually he missed on purpose, He tinkers with the fuel intake of her car. After he promises that he will be there for her for her prom night, they drive off faster than she expects, and apparently with the ability to get 400 miles per gallon. That night, Alex's cousin, Natalie, helps him prepare for the dance, including helping him with the tux, giving him a quick lesson in dancing, uh, making... Comments that she would be all over him if they weren't related, which is kind of weird, uh, and making sure he's packing protection for later that night. Wink, wink. When the limo arrives, Alex says goodbye to his grandparents, who also make sure he's packing protection for later that night. Again, wink, wink. Once he gets in the limo, though, it takes off at high speeds. It turns out that the driver is Hazard, and despite his protestations, which I am actually surprised I said that all-in-one try uh, she takes Alec to the gate after passing through the gate Alex sees that there is already a battle going on between more soldiers and more bugs as hazard also passes through the gate he asks what he's supposed to do and she tells him to do what she's been teaching him to do since his father died go with his gut so he helmets up and Alec grabs onto a low-flying skyship piloted by one of the bugs and uses the keypad, which apparently is created for 13 fingers, not a normal 5, but he's able to use it to open the hatch. After he tosses the pilot out, Alec then uses the ship to plug the what appears to be a transparent kind of mountain volcano thing that the bugs have been emerging from. With their numbers now limited, the bugs quickly find themselves overcome by the Earth's soldiers. After the battle is over, Colonel Jaeger, which is not spelled by the drink, like buy the drink? See, I can't even ad-lib. Never mind. Let's try that again. (laughs) God. After the battle is over, Colonel Jaeger leads most of the troops down underground through the largest remaining opening, but Alec has a hunch that the bugs will be expecting them to come from that direction and suggest they take a less direct route. The colonel doesn't like that idea, so he sends Hazard with Alec on the less direct route while he leads the rest on the more direct route. But as Alec and Hazard enter one of the caverns, I failed to see a bug hiding along the ceiling with glowing red eyes to be continued. Which disappointed me, because I thought there was more to it. I thought this first issue was um, kind of complete, but, you know, it's kind of cool and tantalizing at the same time. Hmm. So, um, what do you think? I had never, never heard of,
0: I had never heard of this series until you told me you wanted to do it. And cool. I read this issue. And I'll tell you, I really like Mark Wade. I really like Jimmy Palmiati. I really like Amanda Connor. I wanted to like this book more than I ended up liking it. Uh, it's not that I thought it was bad. Just with that level of talent, I expected even more from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense. But it, like, like I said, it's not that it was bad. Uh, I don't know. It, it just it didn't really pull me in the way I expected it to. Uh, it's okay. Uh and I don't think I'd have a problem reading the next issue, but I also don't feel compelled to read the next issue. I don't feel like if I don't read it, it's gonna, you know, I'm going to be annoyed. There's so many books that we've covered on this show where I thought, oh, I want to read the next issue, and I never got around to it. And when I think about it, it's like, oh, man, I do need to lo- to read that one. Uh, I'm probably never going to read any more of these. You know, it's okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I-, I will say it's not my favorite, but it was – I've never heard anyone covered it on a con- on a podcast before. And it was an independent, and I was like, ooh, I know this one. No one's read this. This should be interesting.
0: Yeah, no, Um, I'm I'm glad you picked it because I like being exposed to new things. It's not that this was a bad one. Uh, It's just, you know, it's something, like I said, I had never heard of it before. (laughs) before. When when did you tell me you were going to do this, two days ago? Yeah,
1: pretty much, (laughs) which is probably why uh, they, they kind of ran out of money and stopped doing comics.
0: Because well, that's one thing I know about Jimmy Palmiati is, and, you know, obviously uh, he and Amanda Connor are somewhat close, uh, but he, <laughs> a he is not adverse to trying new things and seeing if there's new avenues for him to focus his talent and maybe, you know, get something out of it. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not surprised at all to see his name on this, and, and I would say the same with Mark Wade. He seems uh, to be a guy who's willing to take some risks.
1: Yeah, and this this was kind of a an earlier point. But well, see, the thing is, Mark Wade was kind of riding a little bit of a high of a high. Well, I guess you could call it that, because uh, this was well, this is two thousand. So I mean, he's fresh off of the Flash, or nearing the end of his run on the Flash. or... Is
0: this around when he was doing Birds of Prey?
1: He did Birds of Prey.
0: Pretty sure he did. Oh, if I'm so mistaken. Maybe I'm uh, mistaken he, before.
1: <laughs> really? Hmm. Uh, I don't remember him doing Birds of Prey, so I don't know. Uh, this would have been, uh, he. let's see, he's, he was not on, let's see where, I don't even know what he'd been doing at this point. I meant to look that up.
0: I know he did Hawkman for a while. I just did a quick search. I see Birds of Prey number 47 came up. Actually Jimmy was a an illustrator on that along with Amanda Kana, written by
1: Oh! Okay, okay. Yeah, you're That's talking about Palmiati. You're talking about Palmiati, I'm talking about Wade. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's why I was thrown off. I was like, wait a minute, what? Okay, okay
0: which which makes sense when you are saying about writing the flash too. Okay. Well, yeah. It's all coming together now.
1: <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so uh Mark Wade was either had just finished or was getting ready to finish his run his extensive run on the Flash. He had somewhat recently just let, uh finished off his a big run on Captain America. So this was probably a pretty good time for him. He was trying some new stuff as well. I kind of like it's a little I mean, to me it's a fun story.
0: Yeah, I think that's issue. the way it's intended to be taken too I I I think it's not meant to be a uh a heavy read.
1: Yeah, it it's definitely a lighthearted story. Excuse me. Um it's very dated, though, um, unfortunately, a lot of it. He's Alec is wearing a – well, you can't tell what it says, but it's definitely an Abercrombie & Fitch kind of thing. Uh, but, you know, the Backstreet Boys concert. Um, I have to admit the coloring on the two-page spread is actually pretty nice, especially on uh, Mia's
0: we'll, – we'll say her shorts. And I like the little tan line. That you
1: yeah, said, the so. tan line. Ha! That was cool. So it's
0: a little not really artwork you would expect from a woman.
1: That yeah, that's the thing. She she has always been really good with the cutesy cupcake kind of girls. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen like she 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 also did that same kind of stuff with a uh, Power Girl.
0: I've seen yeah, and I've seen like portfolios of some of her work, and I mean she's a great artist. Don't get me wrong in and, and like I said it it's not that this is a bad book at all. I think my, I'm a victim on this one of seeing that talent, Wade Connor and Palmiotti and just expecting magic.
1: Yeah, this is definitely not um you know, this isn't Mark Wade on Daredevil or Mark Wade on Flash. Uh, it, it's I think part of it too is it's all creator owned, which mm-hmm. is a thing that maybe they haven't completely figured it out yet by the time they're doing it I don't know how uncertain things were when they were working on it I mean like I said this is the first issue of the first comic being put out by a new company and I believe Mark Wade had just I think they had just done like that Gorilla Comics do you remember that Uh, yeah that's the problem him and Kurt Busiek and a couple of others tried to start a new company and it failed um, so maybe that played a part in it. Uh, but I, I don't know. It, like you said, I, expe- I I expected a little bit more, but I, I, I enjoyed it a little bit more. Maybe it's the timing of reading it. This, I was trying to, um, kind of expand my horizons beyond DC superheroes at the time. So this was kind of cool and kind of funny and cute in a sexy kind of way with the, uh, Sexual innuendo stuff.
0: I think I think if I if I just picked this up without paying attention to who the talent was, and I just you know was sitting down trying to kill some time, and I read this book. I think I would have liked it more. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I think I think I'm a victim of expectations. Well, damn. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, but yeah, I can completely understand. They've all have done better work before and after this, so it's kind of a shame.
0: Seems like a little bit of a Stargate riff to it. Kind of like, yeah. a, let's, you know, let's put the teenagers through Stargate. Like that, much. that. That Like, that, you know, Mark Wade said that one day, and then Jimmy and Amanda said, hey, that's a good idea, let's do that. <laughs> and yeah. that's where they went with it.
1: Yeah, it, it's like a combination of a lot of stuff that was already going on at the time. It definitely does have the Stargate kind of feel and Sliders a little bit. Yes. Because um, they don't know really where's, what's
0: going on on the other side. And Sliders but... had more of the teenage thing going, too.
1: Yeah, the difference is that these guys—they oh—they um, don't usually have a problem coming back.
0: And with the bugs and everything, you get a little bit of a Starship Troopers kind of thing going mm-hmm. too.
1: And with the big guns and the soldiers, yeah. Um, and then of course the next issue, uh, Hazard is in her underwear. There's a story reason for it, <laughs> and it's not—it's the. the Beyond, I think it's the next issue, and it's beyond just to get her inner underwear, but they do that. So um, yeah, it, it's yeah, dude, you brought me down. I had, kind of like. Sorry, it. No, I'm,
0: just, no, I'm just kidding. Sorry, Charlie. I you know yeah, what can exactly. I tell you?
1: But yeah, it's uh, if you I I will tell you this. Um, if you're not reading it for a podcast, and um, you're kind of drunk, this is a lot of fun to read.
0: I believe that yes. I would accept and, that as a premise,
1: and if you're reading this when you're twenty years old
0: uh
1: and you remember the end of high school and the early part of college and stuff like that, it also is a little fun um, but you know like 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 we were saying this didn't this really didn't get promoted hardly anywhere outside of issues of wizard and you know, it's it's a brand new comic. No, no one. That was still kind of the time when people kind of liked the larger numbers, and it's two thousand, so they're still recovering from the crash, right? The comic book crash. So it just yeah, and you could they didn't even give you boobs. It was just a shame.
0: <laughs> uh, once again, Bill's being really quiet. What do you think of this one, Bill? I gave it F for fantastic. <laughs> Okay, so this one you like? Yes,
2: yes, you could say that. All right, cool.
1: Okay, mm. that's
0: fair enough. There's a little difference.
1: Yeah. Now I I will say that the uh that th- the um what was I gonna say? Uh, who cares? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's getting
0: late. That's the problem.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's the problem. It's getting late. But I will tell you that um I had all the issues. I got rid of them. So, I downloaded them. And this Mm. is the first time I finally had a chance to read any of them.
0: And it just wasn't the same this time. And then I made it even worse for you.
1: Just kicked me in the nuts, it's all. You're fine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? It's, it's, you got to, you know, you got to call it the way you see it.
1: Oh, yeah. No, you're, uh, personally, and this is just me because I don't have the, uh, the nostalgia that you've got. I, I, I kind of like this a little bit better than y- the issue you brought. Not because you, you're dissing on my issue, but, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> well, not just that, but um, no, but just, I don't know. It, it, it just, it, I had a little m- more fun with this one, but well, you know what? I'll,
0: th- I'll give, I'll give the story credit for being a little bit more ambitious you know, it's not the one and done story like mine was. Yeah, that's uh,
1: that's another problem though.
0: And I'll I'll give the artwork credit because it's you know it's kind of it's nicely rendered. It's it's I, I sometimes I, I get a little uh, tired of the. I mean, I love Amanda Conner's work, but sometimes like like the way she renders faces, sometimes it, it's it's that '90s look of almost a little oversimplification. Not enough detail in the face itself. A little yeah. cartoony. Well, uh, say,
1: I think part of that is I kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Which could be, I think the other thing, too, is you've had nostalgia for, your, for that book, uh, for the Marvel team-up. I kind of have the nostalgia for this one. I could see that. Yeah, which is a thing. It's just that timing and reading it. And so many things are set up here that I don't remember getting paid off ever. That would be a problem. Yeah. That like would the, bother me. The scars on the... Cousin on his cousin, but I I think part of it is they they were setting stuff up in this mini series to get you enticed into the main series, and then the main series they it it, they folded before they had a chance to get to a lot of it. Right. So yeah, yeah. I I don't know if you noticed, but some of the background stuff. There's a one of the pages that there's a Matrix poster in the background. Oh, I I, haven't seen that. as well as um, a copy of Wizard magazine on the floor with Daredevil on it, because, of course, Palmiati was had been doing Daredevil by this point. Uh, and then there's toys, including a Jay and Silent Bob action figures. This is on um, page 10.
0: There's a Rob Zombie CD.
1: Yeah. Oh, good. You caught up. And um, a boombox. I can't tell who these other action figures are.
0: Hey, you got a Godzilla action yeah, well, figure there.
1: Yeah, there's Godzilla, but I don't know who that is in the red coat or the um, Shira wannabe behind his ass.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure exactly who that is. I'm trying to see if I can get a better look at it. The guy with the red coat's got uh, guns in his hands. I'm not. That could be a girl too. It's hard to tell. That might be a girl. In fact, I think it might be because I think there might be a red coat and then kind of like a bustier thing going Mm -hmm. there. It's so small, it's hard to really get a good handle on what it is.
1: And see, I think part of it, too, is because it's 2014. Had we been reviewing this for a podcast in 2000, we'd be like, oh, yeah, that's that person. And that is that other character over there. They could even be characters for other comics
0: that were going to come out in this line and that never happened. That could well be. Yeah. I, I, they had a Jay and Silent Bob comic at one time, didn't they? Yes. Yes, they did. They had a
1: cartoon, they... too, at one yes. point.
0: Yes. I'm wondering who produced the comic.
1: Well, we can find that out. Hold on. Google to the rescue. Let's see. Jay and Silent Bob comic. There we go. Tales from the Clerks. Looks like... Oni... Oni Press? Oni
0: Press? Okay. Oni Press.
1: Hmm? Not bad, either.
0: Way to get the info.
1: Well, you know, uh, Bill was taking his time.
0: <laughs> Bill's, Bill's been it. virtually useless. It's a good thing he was involved in the email, otherwise he wouldn't be here at all.
1: <laughs> I know. it's It's almost like he's not here. It's just weird. He's just so... And now we're talking about him in the third person as if he isn't.
2: (laughs) Uh, What is this? This is... I have a stuffed fish. This is... uh, I I know this. Nemo. That's what it is. Get the f*** out of here. Get out of here. Why is there a Nemo? Is there a stuffed Nemo on my desk? And a flash ring. I got a flash ring. I got a stuffed Nemo. I got some Toontown cards. I have this. This is what's on my desk. I have a package of chicken ramen noodle. I don't even, even eat chicken ramen noodle. N- 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 whatever. It's on my desk. <sighs> it's like I'm losing hey, ground. Hey. Every, every day, I'm like, it's like the Viet Cong are in my house. They infiltrate everything. Everything in my life, in my desk. And I fight did everything, fight every day. Like tunnel rats. So, <laughs> Sorry. I guess I can stop venting. I love my children. I love my wife.
3: (sighs) You make me sound like a complete idiot. (laughs) Well, wait a minute. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com